Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa and I am joined as always by Wendy. And we are here on our fourth episode about Fantastic Fest 2017. That sounds about right. It's a set of four of six. Yes, yes, I feel we like, have decided. I feel like it's a Twitter chain. It's it, it really kind of is. I mean, yeah. More coming, more coming, more coming. You tune in tomorrow. So yeah, we're uh, uh, we've got another five or so movies to discuss today that, yes. that we saw and stories <laughs> whatever is coming to our mind um so yeah uh, so the bruce greenwood <laughs> the bruce tell tell me about bruce greenwood wendy so i had one transpo shift as a volunteer where i was a ride-along so i was supposed to go out to the airport and hold the sign that says welcome to fantastic fest in a specific spot that they tell people to look for you mm-hmm. to meet three guests who were coming in so that we could take them back to the alamo in our van so i get out there and i'm holding the sign now I'm going to skip to the end and tell you, nobody showed up. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, one of them did. He walked by and went, oh, I'm this guy. And I'm like, oh, it's you. So, and he's like, but I've rented a car, so I don't need the service. Now, remember, they tell Fantastic Fest, yes, I need the service, and these are my flight times. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that the big, <laughs> like, that's... Of all the complaints I heard, that was the most like, God damn it, people, get your shit together. Like, if you're going to contact us and say you need a ride, could you actually show up for the ride? And if yeah. you're not going to take the ride, could you let us know you don't need the ride? Mm-hmm. Or you could show up and instead of just standing around going, where's my ride? You could have like, I don't know, filled out the form we sent you that said, do you need a ride? <laughs> so I'm standing there. I ended up standing there for about 45 minutes holding this sign that says, welcome oh. to Fantastic Fest. Now, what's adorable is like the one, like these two, this older couple that came by, what's Fantastic Fest? And I tell them, they're like, that sounds amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, isn't it though? And they wander off. And then right behind them comes a woman in probably early 30s and she's like oh my god that's where i'm going can i take your picture and i'm like uh sure, sure. So I'm, there's a picture of me somewhere on the web probably like holding the fantastic fest i'm like hi hey. um and then uh and then as i'm standing there i see where i am you can see the uh, limo drivers who are clearly meeting mm-hmm. meeting fancy people and I'm looking over there and I, as I'm waiting, like, where are my people? And I'm watching everybody walk by, like, and making eye contact, like, are you my people? I see somebody walk up to the limo driver and they greet and then they start walking my way because I am deliberately stationed right by the exit escalator so I can intercept my guests if they've gotten confused. And as they're walking towards me, I'm like, oh, that's Bruce, that's Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> oh, and as he walks up to me and he sees a sign, he's like, Fantastic Fest. That is where I'm going. Cool. And, and, and he, he initiated contact. He's like, that's where I'm going. I'm like, 
you are. That's fantastic. I'm so excited that you're going to be there. Mm -hmm. I I can't wait to see you there, sir. And he's getting on the escalator. And so as he's going up the escalator, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. And I'm like, sir, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan. He's like, thank you. I loved you in the core. (laughs) And he looks at me and his head cocks to the side. The core. (laughs) And I yell up at him. It's a favorite. (laughs) And he just sort of smiles and nods and up he goes on the escalator. And I'm like, I'm at Bruce Greenwood and I have a great story. Yay me. So there's more to this. (laughs) Yes. Oh, God. So the next day, um, I'm volunteering in the theater shift and they're they're premiering Gerald's game and he is the lead in Gerald's, he is Gerald. So he's standing outside the theater waiting to go in as I'm, you know, running past in my, in my volunteer mode. And as I come walking up, I'm like, oh, it's Breeze Greenwood again. I'm like, well, hello again, Mr. Greenwood. It's good to see you. And I'm in the exact same, I'm in the t-shirt and everything. And Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that he recognized it was me again. Um, The core. And I'm like, it's, I'm like, it's good to see you. And he's like, well, hello again. I'm like, by the way, I have to tell you that your reaction when I told you that the core was a favorite of mine just really made my day. So I was trying to contextualize who I was. Yeah. But also, Mr. Greenwood, that was sort of adorable. <laughs> and and he's like, you know, we actually shot the core like in this one area. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And he, and so and then he just he started just chatting. He's like, yeah, it wasn't too far from where I lived. And I'm like, so. Um, so is this your first time in Austin? Oh, no, I shot this other movie here this mm-hmm. one time. And yeah, I spent the night last night. Oh, are you going to stay another night? No, I have to head back tonight. Oh, are you, uh, I probably are in the middle of a project. Yeah, I'm shooting a series for CBS. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fantastic. He's like, oh, I've, I've got to go in. I'm like, well, thank you, Mr. Greenwood. It was delightful time. He, he puts out his hand like, mm-hmm. here we go. Let's shake hands. I'm like, well, thank you, Mr. Greenwood. Mm-hmm. And then I walk away. Because he's outside Theater 5. I walk over to Theater 6 to the volunteer there. And as I walk up, I'm like, I just touched Bruce Greenwood. And she went, what? Where? <laughs> and I'm like, he's right there. And she's like, that's him. And I'm like, he's a bit of a silver fox. She's like, yeah. <laughs> and that is my Bruce Greenwood story. He is such a nice person. Cool. Like, I am always so pleased when I meet celebrities who are capable of just being nice, mm-hmm. being nice and polite and like having a little bit of chit chat, but still obviously still controlling it to their benefit. I mean, he doesn't have to actually be that nice, but he knows how to be publicly nice. And I appreciate a celebrity who knows that that is a thing they have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was a fan before, but now I'm like, Bruce Greenwood, we're buddies. <laughs> Obviously, we're clearly buddies now. Obs, obs. Ask me anything. (laughs) AMA. (laughs) So, yeah. So what do we want to talk about So let's see. We've got a whole series of of films. Like, most of them are science fiction premises that are really about the human condition. Yes. So, uh, most of them, not all of them, but... Yeah. I feel like we should probably start with... I feel like Radius might be a good start. Yeah, let's start with Radius. Radius. Did you see Radius too? I saw Radius as well. Okay. Um, yeah, because one of the things that I love is when we get sort of the Isaac Asimov. So we get the we get the Twilight Zone of, hi, here's a really far-fetched um, speculative fiction idea that is really the only reason we have this sci-fi concept is so that 
we can put humans in it and watch how humans watch how this forces the hu- the humanity to emerge. Yeah. And so the the structure of radius is um, there's a there's a guy who is has pulled himself out of the car wreck who does not remember who he is. Who he is. He has no clue, has no history in his brain beyond I just woke up in a car wreck. And he as he tries to go get help, he realizes anything that he approaches, any living thing he approaches, suddenly dies. And at first he thinks it's a virus in the air, it's an airborne virus, yes. it's some sort of chemical warfare or biological attack, and he freaks out and he goes in his house, mm-hmm. but he puts it together pretty quick. Yeah, really impressive. And and he the way he like maps it out is very obvious. And so, I mean, this isn't a spoiler. It's the title of the film. Yeah. Radius. If you get within a certain radius of me, you will die. Yeah. And like, what? And like the minute I heard that premise, I was like, I want to see that film. I'm just interested in the concept. Mm-hmm. And then a woman pulls up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, go away, go away, don't come closer, don't come closer. And all of a sudden, she's knocking on the door right on the other side. And you're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. What? It, why, why is she able to, what's going on? And so these two characters are very much tied together and forced to be in close proximity. Mm-hmm. Because if she's within the radius, he is no longer deadly. She damps his power. It's not that she's immune. She she turns him off. Yeah. She turns his power off. But the minute she steps outside that radius, he's back to full force. So he's like, you can't leave me. Mm-hmm. I need you to stay next to me. And when she buys, on, buys into it, she's like, you can't separate us. Mm-hmm. But the cops are looking for him because all these people have been dying. And is he a terrorist? Is he a murderer? And so it becomes very tense and along the way, they're getting f- memory flashbacks because she doesn't remember either. And they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out who they are. And I remember talking to you afterwards, and I'm like, what I loved about it is the story's not about the radius. The story's about the amnesia. Yeah. That's what the story's really about. If you don't remember who you are, are you still that person? Right. And what do you do if you... Like, what would you do if you got amnesia and then you f- the person you found out you were, you're like, I'm not that person. Yeah, I don't want to be that person. Like, because she has a husband mm-hmm. and she's looking at him and you can tell she's like, I'm not attracted to you. I don't know you. And mm-hmm. he's like, but I love you. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Like, and think about how weird that would be if you had amnesia and like people are just expecting, well, you're supposed to love me because it's like, uh, no, maybe the person who had memories loved you, but I'm... Are we the sum of our memories, mm-hmm. or aren't we? It was really interesting. It was a movie. really interesting movie. I really think it's so chewy. Um, I can see how some people might. I can see if some people were like, mm, "It's just a little too clever. It's just a little too coy." But I'm like, "Yeah, but I really like what that forces you to start." Well, I mean, the, the whole premise itself is art. Yeah. And so there, I I did kind of figure out where the movie was gonna go. Um, not too far before it actually revealed it, but it was like, I kind of suspect this is what's going to happen. Oh, there it is. And, um, I wasn't disappointed or anything. It, it still, it, it brought and, up and, those wonderful questions and it's And great. the denouement was very, very good. Very good. Like the, the, it ended well. And mm-hmm. that's so hard to do with concept movies mm-hmm. to find the right ending. I'm like, nope, 
that is the ending. That is definitely the ending. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I yeah. really liked it. If you can find it, listeners, mm-hmm. I really liked it. And I, I feel like um, since it also deals with circles, we should also go straight into The Endless. Right? So The Endless is another movie, dear listeners, that we saw and we both really, really enjoyed. This is one we actually got to watch together. Yes. And uh, The Endless is the third movie by these two guys. And I did not look up their names and I don't remember what they well, were. Well, um, it, it was the names they were using, Aaron and Justin. Aaron and Justin. And I can't remember their last names. But anyway, these are the two guys who made Resolution a few years ago and... Uh, Spring, yes, which I really love from a past Fantastic Fest. It, it's a delightful movie, and there, both Resolution and Spring are these really strong science fiction and a little genre bending concept movies. But they're ultimately about the characters, and The Endless is the same thing. Yes, it is so good. Um, and what's what they were what they explained was in essence like if we all remember the much the Josh Sweden much do about nothing which is a film that he made to relax mm-hmm. while he was shooting the avengers yeah. like like i'm so this is a project they're like well while we're waiting to hopefully make these other big projects pop let's keep our hand in let's keep let's keep the juices flowing let's go off and just make a super low budget film just for us just that's just us so that we can we can keep working and keep keep our our creative skills up. Yeah, and these guys do almost everything themselves. Yeah, including acting. They're they're the two leads and they're good. They're very good. But and they're, they're, they, and they're they self-directing, which I'm always impressed when you can direct yourself because that is not easy. Not easy. But also they do their own uh, special effects compositing. Their own and uh, cinematography, their own editing. Yeah, and they no, were they were do choosing they do their own cinematography. I don't remember. Anyway. But anyway, the like with the special effects compositing, they were really kind of Figuring out what are we good at, and what are we not good at. Let's put, let's let's write come up with a, towards. Let's write towards what we're good at for the special effects, and then we'll do it. So ourselves. we know the story we want to tell. So, are you good with like fire effects? Should we make it sort of do fiery things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do fire well. Okay, then that's how okay. we'll write it. How about force fields? You know that's sort of <laughs> yeah. Like okay, well then that's that's how we'll structure it. Like we'll we'll lean into what we're actually good at, which. That's super smart. Yeah. So um, this is a fascinating concept, and they uh, really thought out this world. Yeah. Like, that's what's most impressive. You can see it has been put together like a clockwork. And we t- we talked to them after the movie because they were both there and had some great little conversations about, you know, the, the structure of the movie and, you know, things that weren't explicitly explained in the movie and, and seeing how yeah. they all fit together. Um, but the... The concept is there are the two, these two adult brothers who are living out in the world. They have shitty cleaning jobs. They have shitty lives. Shitty Their lives. lives are shitty. They are eating ramen. They have no money. And it becomes clear that they both escaped a cult. A UFO death cult. That's what they call it. A UFO death cult. And yeah. the, the older brother got the younger brother out. The younger brother... F- like, this is not a spoiler. It's very explicitly stated. feels like the older brother controls everything about his life. Mm-hmm. So how much better is it really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I gave, I traded in the UFO death, death cult for a brother. Um, and the younger brother misses. Misses, and you can understand why. Like, that's what mm-hmm. cults do. They make, yeah. they make everything easy and clear and simple and comfortable. And he's like, remember we had all that fresh food and we were out in the air and it was, and everybody was nice and... What if we went back and visited and yeah. a videotape shows up, like a package gets delivered and it's a videotape of the people from the compound 
And it makes him go, like, can't we just go visit just for one night? And mm-hmm. his older brother gives in. So they go back to visit the the compound out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And and it's it's a it's a cult. And it's it's not like a Jesus cult. It they there's some sort of There's a higher power that lives in the woods. Yeah. And and like at that part, just the higher power out in outside where you can't see it, all I could think of was Children of the Corn. Yeah, and, and it, it definitely has Children of the Corn streaks, but it's also really, really, really color out of space. Oh, yeah. And the Dunnage Horror. Yeah. It's very Lovecraftian. Yes. Um, and, I, I, and you see Lovecraftian streaks in Spring as well in their, their previous movies. And so we, we talked about that a little bit after the movie. But um, So there's this power out in the woods, and I don't know how much further we want to get into the concept of it there um, there's well a, they make they start they they make these very subtle comments they're yeah. very subtle very very subtle about well everybody still looks good everybody's so healthy yeah well you haven't changed um and then are they together i don't know if they're together like and so the relationships people have with each other are very odd yeah and like they're Let's just say the undercurrents. So many undercurrents are happening. You're like, oh shit, you're like, y'all are gonna explain this right. And they do. That's they explain everything very well without ever getting didactic. Yeah. Like the way the way the puzzle pieces start filling in, you're like, I get it. Oh, I get oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. And it's the characters are great. Mm-hmm. All the little characters mm-hmm. they run into are great. And ultimately, again. It's a big it's a big speculative fiction concept that's really about two brothers confronting their relationship. Mm-hmm. But I mean the coolest thing we haven't even gotten into the coolest things about the concept of the world because it's like the 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 thing out in the woods is just kind of an accessory to the larger concept of what's going on. Yeah. It it the, the there there are like circles of it, yeah, how much farther do you want to go? Yeah, I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. it. It's a really fascinating movie. And this one should be coming out, it, did they say March? March? March of next year, yeah. So March 2018. Look for it next March. I really liked it. I really liked it, too. It's it's really eminently watchable, and it's a movie that you are you are trying to figure it out, and when it all falls together, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, it really is cool. Yeah. And it, and again, it ends well. Mm-hmm. It ends really well. Like, I love yay. it. Yay! So yay the endless. So in our little trio here that we're going, we should also talk about Three Football and Souls. Yes. So Three Football and Souls is a Japanese, it's Japanese. film. It is uh, once again a really arch science fiction concept. It's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day <laughs> with a giant firework in the middle. <laughs> it's a Suicide Club. Groundhog Day, Suicide Pact Club, Groundhog mm-hmm. Day, where, I mean, this like this happens really quickly, so I'm not really giving anything away of like, the their firework explodes and they all die and then they reset back and they have to keep it. They have to keep it, it keeps resetting until the universe clearly is like, nope, not until you get it right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's four people in a barn with a giant firework, like three foot wide. A three foot ball of firework because he is a firework maker. Mm-hmm. And and one by one, each of the four characters comes into the barn in the same order as as this thing keeps resetting the time loop. 
and it it differs with each loop who remembers the past mm-hmm. which is interesting and but they're they're all there to die they're all committing suicide and they've all decided to go out with the literally a big bang and so as things keep getting mucked up it keeps going back and forth and them trying to figure out how to what is reset it, the right way like i don't want to be trapped in this loop forever what do we have to do what do we have to do to make this stop? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to figure out like, oh, well, maybe if we do this, that'll make it. Th- nope. We're, here we are again. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people were complaining about the ending, which I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm going to be a little vague. Um, but I thought that I really liked the ending because the ending was uh, explicitly stating the theme. Yeah. Which is the interconnectivity of people. And if you remove even one person... There are, there are ripple effects, and we need people to stick around so that they can continue to make the world better. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was just so sweet. Yeah. Like, literally, it ended, and I... Did I see that one with you? No. No. We... Who did I see it with? I can't remember. I don't remember. I saw it with somebody, but I remember it finished, and I looked at them, and I said, well, that was just fucking sweet. <laughs> My God, I feel good. <laughs> and I love the credit card in that one. I said, guys, help me clean up. Guys? 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. That was so fun. So um, now I'm going to get into two that I did two not movies see. that you did not see. Um, I'll go into Killing of a Sacred Deer first because it, it, you know what? Actually, this fits with the previous thing we talked about because Killing of a Sacred Deer is made by the guy who made the lobster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, dear listeners, I have not seen the lobster yet, but I know it's kind of this... This you didn't? I didn't see the lobster. Um, I think, but it was a hit I think last you'd year. really like it. I, I, it's been on my list since it hit Fantastic Fest last time. But it's so it's like on the reputation of the lobster, I went to see Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is a fairly big name project because it's got Nicole Kidman in it and mm-hmm. uh, what's his nose? Colin Firth? Colin, no, Farrell. Colin Farrell. Which yeah. was also in the lobster. Yeah. And so those two are playing um, this husband and wife where they have two kids and it's very, very stilted at first. Like the performances are really kind of really weirdly unnatural, like intentionally so. So it's kind of jarring, but they're in this suburbia situation and he's a rich doctor and, and she's also a doctor and and he but without telling her he's been meeting this 18ish year old boy um who whose father had died in a car accident he was the doctor for operating on this kid's father but the the patient died on the table so he kind of felt bad for the kid and has been kind of trying to mentor him in a way provide a father figure but it it turns out that the the kid, it, it, it winds, it, it's hard to get into this without getting into spoilers, but what it turns out being, that what the movie turns out being is one by one, the family members start to die. Like they don't die in the mood, like they, they don't like instantly fall over, keel over dead. Like the young son starts being ill for no reason. Like suddenly he can't walk. Huh. And they can't figure out why. And then the daughter suddenly can't walk and they can't figure out why. And they're starting to shut down and, and they're, um, 
it winds up being exterminating angel. It's Louis Buñuel's exterminating angel. There is no explanation whatsoever for the thing that is happening to these people. It's almost like an arbitrary thing of this is the universe you are in. These kids are going to die unless this thing happens. And it's, I found it really kind of a frustrating movie. It's like clearly very well made and it's, I felt it was strongest when it actually leaned into the absurdism a little bit because it's clearly a satire of all this stuff, but it felt like it it didn't lean into that enough. Like it was so stilted that it was hard to get into it in that... You know what? What you're saying is true about the lobster. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's kind that of what it's, I hear too. It, that it's very absurd. When it, mm-hmm. when it leans into the absurdity, it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of does end up being a little bit of a frustrating movie. But I kind of think that's the point. Yeah. And, but when I when I finally realized that Killing of a Sacred Deer was like, this is Exterminating Angel, except it's... Buniel did it better last time. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I found it ultimately fairly frustrating. Great performances, though, ultimately, you know, once I got past the stilted nature of it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm iffy on that one. Okay. I'm iffy on that one. But I know you loved... Well, I really, really did like The Square. Yes. So The Square is by the, the folks who made Force Majeure. Yeah. Now, Force Majeure came out a couple years ago, and I really wasn't a fan of Force Majeure. It's okay. like, this is a polished and well-made movie. I see what you're doing, and it's a... And these are about people I really don't care about. <laughs> You know, this is like first percenter problems, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the square, while having kind of those same aspects, I feel like the game, their game has become a little bit more polished. Their, the storytelling, I feel, is better and cleaner. And um, it lampoons their art world. <laughs> and me being having been part of the art world in college... Um, Having gone through and written those completely impenetrable artist statements that ultimately mean nothing and all the all this stuff, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> I found it to be hilarious. And once again, it, it, it is kind of this. This is lampooning first people problems, but this is I found it a lot funnier than force majeure. Okay. And the the performances are really good. I like how it was filmed. Um, it's kind of day in the life of this museum. And it, it centers around this art director who... Um, there's, like, this reporter he meets and kind of, they kind of start a relationship and that's kind of going on. And it's kind of day in the life at this museum. Um there's a point when he gets pickpocketed in the street and he he has like he he goes on a misadventure with his intern where they try they've been they've traced his phone to a kind of a scummy part of the city and they go to this uh apartment uh complex and they decide to put a threatening letter in everybody's mailbox and say leave my phone in cufflinks at this store and I won't prosecute but we know where you live figuring Somebody in there has got it. And so he gets the stuff back, but then he gets all this blowback from people who got the threatening letter and weren't at fault. And so he has to own up to, <laughs> you know, the consequences of his actions, just trying to get his stuff back. And it's it's this really interesting lampoon of 
richer people looking down on the common folk. Um, and everything is kind of spinning around this art installation that they're pr trying to put in called the square. And the square is literally this, it's embedded in the ground in front of the museum. And it's this neon lit square that is, I think, a meter by a meter square or something like that. Yeah. And there's a plaque in front of it that says anybody who uh, stands in the square think can, can ask anybody else and they're required to help ask for help and whoever else is in the square. It's like the square is an agreement of civilization. And, and so, you know, it's a, this nice fluffy, it'd feel good concept, but they're trying to, the museum's trying to sell it as a, as, as an art concept and it all goes horribly wrong. It, it's, I find it hysterical, but everything kind of ties into the concept of if you ha ask for help, do you help? Or somebody around you asks for help, do you help? And yeah, and what are they asking your help? Yeah, and with? and and how do you help? And and that sort of thing. It's it's very interesting. Okay. So, what happened in real life around the square? Now, this is super interesting. Yeah. Especially given the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room, which we'll start to get into, but we'll really get into in the next episode of Xanadu Cinema Legend Dome. So, the square. One of the scenes uh, late in the movie involves a preferred dinner at this museum where the patrons are having this lovely dinner and, and it's uh, one of the art openings and they have a performance artist come in who is part of this exhibition. And the performance artist in the movie is a guy named Oleg and he his, his act is he comes in, he's stripped to the waist, he's shirtless, and he has um, these, um, these kind of hand stilts. So he comes in acting like a gorilla. And the actor playing it is Terry Notary. This is the guy who did the motion capture for King Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Professionally, this is what the guy does. He's another Andy Circus. He does motion capture for animals. He's the guy who uh, trained a bunch of the actors for the Planet of the Apes movies. He knows how to act like a gorilla. And it's uncanny. So he comes into the room with his hand stilts so he can walk like a gorilla. And he's doing... He's acting like a gorilla amongst all these people in their evening gowns, sitting at these tables, having their dinner. And the performance art in the film is very confrontational. You know, he's going in and like picking at people's hair and throwing glasses around and embarrassing people and staring men down. And it becomes very, very confrontational to the point where he literally grabs a woman by the hair and drags her to the floor and starts like acting to assault her and it, it's clear that in the film what the performance art is is how far is this guy going to push it until people are spurned into action so once again that concept uh, of asking for help like when are you going to make him stop when are you going to make him stop when is this beyond the artifice of art and when this is a human being on the floor asking for help and so um when I watched that scene, 100%, I said, I, I bet Terry Notary's here. Yeah. <laughs> because before they played the movie, Luke Mullen, who announced the movie, said, we have a very special guest who will come in after the film, not announcing who it was. And I go, I'm willing to bet it's Terry Notary and he's going to come in acting like a fucking gorilla. And sure enough, <laughs> after the movie... Terry Notary comes in, stripped to the waist with his uh, with his hand stilts, and he does the gorilla act in the theater. 
And it was very, very short. I think they were short on time, but they had um, cards in front of people that um, they knew would be game to... Like, it would be okay for him to interact with. Yeah. And so there were a couple people marked in the audience, so I think he went up to three people ultimately. It was really short. And he... Um, you know, he batted a, a water glass off the table and it went flying. And it, the water glasses are, are plastic, so nothing broke. Uh, he like punched Luke in the face, but Luke had uh, makeup prosthetics on, so it looked like he was bleeding, but it was makeup. It was all an act. And uh, <laughs> God bless you, Luke. Yeah. And so it, it was actually really kind of cool. And I mean, his, his gorilla act is really uncanny. Yeah. Like, he's amazing. Yeah. So he comes in, does his act, goes out super short. And then, of course, since Fantastic Fest has been under fire this year for various reasons, a couple of people in the audience in that particular theater really were freaked out by that. Yeah. Like, I agree with you having talked about it last night. Like, yeah. I think the way to have, like, if they had brought him back out for a Q&A, it, yeah. it would have diffused the tension immensely. Yeah. If they had acknowledged you were all safe and this was never going to go that way, mm-hmm. like that, that probably would have diffused a lot of the tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel for the people who were bothered by it. I do because mm-hmm. you can't control when something is just it's going to hit you hard and it's going to hit you wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, as but as somebody who's done improvisational performing, I can't help, and I'm 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 not I'm not apologizing. I'm not victim blaming or anything like that. But I can't help but see like, except that. There was no way he was ever going to hurt, assault, or touch anybody mm-hmm. because that's not that's not what you do. Yeah, and and there's a difference between Terry Notary, the actor at Fantastic Fest, versus the character that was being portrayed in the film. Yeah, even like, though he, he was like doing... in the film he did that, but like yeah, logically you know, given the social contract, there is no way he's going to do that to somebody here at Fantastic Fest. Right, they might play like he really is, and he might go, "Whoa, what was that?" But like, if you if you can if you can think through it logically, but emotions short circuit logic, mm-hmm. and so I feel for the people who were upset by it. I also feel like you know everybody's got such a hair trigger right now. Yeah. Everybody's rubbed so raw. Mm-hmm. Like I can understand why you have an emotional response without being able to think through it. Um, at the same time, that's kind of one of the things I love about Fantastic Fest is the weird shit that happens that kind of has the capability to make you uncomfortable and like I kind of like being pushed to that edge. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic Fest is a genre film festival and at some point if you nerf it so hard it it stops being Fantastic Fest. It is going to a Mexican restaurant and complaining there's no sushi there. Complaining you can't get a burger. Complaining you can't get a burger. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, more realistically, like, it's going, not bland enough. It's not safe enough. Yeah, or it's the, you're going to an establishment that shouldn't be required to because, serve I mean, up the thing that you're looking for. Do even. I particularly want to watch a sexploitation? No. no. Do I want Fantastic Fest to show sexploitation? Yes. And I, yeah. sometimes I want them to force me to watch it because... I want to be broadened and I want to be challenged. Right. Like, you thought this was something that was worth seeing. Why? Yeah. And maybe we'll disagree and I'll be like, no, that was a piece of crap to see and that was a stupid reason to watch it and there was nothing mm-hmm. of value in there for me. But, like, that's what we do as, that's what we do as thoughtful cinephiles is we open ourselves up to watch things, mm-hmm. even if it's something you're like, I didn't like it. Right. And, and Fantastic Fest is good at pushing those boundaries usually. Yeah. So. But I mean, but this year it's like, should you have tried to push the boundaries this year? 
Well, mm. it is still Fantastic Fest, and mm-hmm. and also all of this happened so soon, right before. Like, how much can they go back and re- like retroactively go back and look through and go, "Well, we should probably change that. We should probably soften that. We should like, like it had to have been a mad scramble." Oh yeah, because everything that happened went down in like the space of two weeks. Yeah. So, dear listeners, if you have no clue what we're talking about, we'll get into it in depth in the next episode. But So, let's yeah. uh, wrap this one up. Okay. Then. So, yeah. Um, the, all the, the movies we just discussed were super great. So Yes, they were. Yeah. Well, it's Killing of a Sacred Deer. A lot of people really loved it. Me, not so much. But anyway, you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah. And it's like, an, it's still thoughtful and interesting. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's a smart movie. It's just, it was my thing. Yeah. So, uh, dear listeners, thank you for joining us once again at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I was mm. Melissa, and this was... Wendy. And we will join you tomorrow to uh, continue the discussion of the things we saw. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com. Follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema. And like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. It's it's interesting that uh Oh, I lost that thought. I don't know where it went.